Come on, we serve a wonderful, glorious Savior. Come on, he's worthy of it all. Come on, he gave his best. Come on, let's give him our very best. Come on, just give me Jesus. Y'all gonna mess around and get me to running. Woo! Come on, somebody. Hey, God bless you guys. You can have a seat. Welcome, Faith Church in Florence. It's good to have you guys here. Come on, let's welcome our Faith Church family in Lawrenceburg and the Shoals. It's good to have you guys on the house as well. All of our Faith Church family and VIPs watching online. And if you're live here and this is your first time, thanks so much for showing up or showing up at our campuses. Regardless of who you are, if you're a Faith Church family or you're new here, come on, we say this every week that we believe in Jesus. Who is he? He's the hope of the world. So whoever you are, whatever you're going through, your issue, your hurt, your heartache, your habit, we believe you open up your life to Jesus. It'll be the greatest decision you've already made or need to make. And we're going to believe God to do that today in your life and in mine. Come on, give God praise one more time. Well... We started a series last week entitled Habits, Moving Into the New Year. It's a conversation lots of people are having anyways. And really, the thrust of this conversation isn't because it's a new year. It's because many of us in this room or many of us at our campuses consider ourselves Christians, Christ followers. And so Jesus, he gives us these habits. He gives us spiritual disciplines that help us to move and to grow in our relationship with him. That you need to know and I need to know and be reminded that God really plays a significant role in our spiritual journey. We can never save ourselves. We're saved by his grace, not by our works. So while there's so much on who God is and what God has done for us through his son, Jesus, you still play a role and I still play a role in my spiritual maturity and in my spiritual journey. And so Jesus gives us some habits that we need to work into our lives. And last week we talked about one of those habits. The conversation Jesus has is he uses this language Not to introduce it, but to assume that we're already doing it. It's this idea of fasting. Fasting is saying no to food for spiritual reasons. Now, you can incorporate some other things you need to say no to. And I've invited our church to join together for 14 days of prayer and fasting to start the new year, really seeking God as a church, really trying to press in closer. And so hopefully, man, you're in that journey. We've had several hundred people uh, joining us at 6 a.m. at one of our campuses for prayer for an hour. Man, just would invite you to that, that we can press in again, experience God, do greater things in our lives, in our churches, and in our community in 2023. How many people is down for that? So I want to invite you to be a part of that. So again, Jesus introduces this idea of fasting. Today, I want to shift gears and I want to talk about another spiritual discipline I think is important to all of us in our spiritual journey. Here's the conversation is like, I want to talk about the rewards that you can experience as a reader, as a reader. Now, I know immediately there in this room that there's probably some people that love to read and there's some people who hate to read. There's some people that probably read on a regular basis and there's some of you that have not touched a book since you graduated high school and you didn't read it then either. But (laughs) the conversation I want to talk about is not just reading literature that's common or popular in culture. Not just reading, you know, where the crawdads sing or whatever foolishness you're reading. Nothing wrong with that. What I want to talk about is this idea of what could happen if you and I leaned into and began to be regular participants in reading God's word. What could happen in your life if you allow God's word to incorporate itself and you incorporate it intentionally into who you are? Because Jesus has a lot to say on this conversation. Jesus really has a lot for us to lean into and to have conversations to have. So, I thought a good way maybe to have this conversation of being a reader, of developing this discipline in our life is kind of with this thought right here. And lots of us have heard this before. You are what you eat. How many people have heard that before? You are what you eat. How many people know that's true just by looking in the mirror? Wave at me, everybody. Yeah, we know it. You are what you eat. Such an interesting, simple phrase. Um, 
It originated at least in American culture in the 1930s by a nutritionist. And his goal was to take something that had become increasingly complex and make it really simple. I don't know about all the way back then, but just think about our culture, the way we talk about nutrition today. We talk about paleo and we talk about, you know, carbs and talk about all these different diets and, you know, uh, measuring your micros and are you getting enough protein? And it's really easy to get lost in all of the advice. And so this nutritionist back in 1930, just try to make it simple. Hey, you are what you eat. If you eat unhealthy things, you're going to be, become generally unhealthy. And if you try to eat generally healthy things, you're going to be generally healthy. Now, we already innately know that's true, right? If you're taking notes, what he was trying to say was there's a connection between your nutrition and your trans transformation. We know that's true because as a culture, stepping into the new year, many of us, many people in our society and culture have made New Year's resolutions. These ideas that like there's something we want to do to change habits in our life, to change who we are. And a lot, the number one uh, uh, decisions that people make stepping into New Year, in fact, the top three kind of all deal with our diet. It's work out more, get healthy and eat better. It's all this idea like we recognize if we're going to experience some transformation, it starts with changing our nutrition. I got to change what I eat if I want to change who I am. Well, here's what's really interesting is in 1930, the American nutritionist was not the first person to coin that phrase. In fact, it was said by a French lawyer all the way back 100 years earlier. And when he said the phrase, he said it this way, show me what you eat and I will show you what you are. And he was speaking on this broader thing, not just what you put in your mouth, but he was saying, show me what you devour in culture. Show me the conversations you devour. Show me the literature you devour. Show me the entertainment you devour. Show me the, what he was saying was like, we tend to become and take on everything that we allow into our lives. And so this idea isn't just about, come on, it's not just about physical nutrients. It's about spiritual nutrients. While physical food is a part of who we are, a part of who we're, come, who we're becoming, a part of our development, you better believe that, again, that there's a connection between nutrition and transformation. Can we get that slide up there, please? Y'all track with me in the back. He says this in Matthew 4, verse 4. Listen to what Jesus says on this conversation. Every voice, let's read this together. He says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what Jesus is saying is like, hey, in society that we live, in the culture we live, it'll tell you this, that if you want to change your direction, change your diet. If you want to get healthier, change what you eat. If you want to feel better about yourself, manage what you're putting in your mouth. And Jesus steps on the scene and says, hey, that's important. Physical food is important, but there is this spiritual component to our lives. And that you can eat the best food on the planet. You can eat the best of the best. You can measure your micros. You can, you, can, uh, you can deal with your paleo. You can, whatever it is you're trying to track. But he says, man, real life change is gonna happen, not just by what you put in your mouth, but by what you put in your spirit, by what you put in the real part of who you are. Do you ever hear that idea of spiritual nutrients? Pretty radical idea. So again, Jesus says, man doesn't live by bread alone. You don't eat, live by just what you eat, but Really, we're going to live, we're going to experience life, we're going to grow by making sure we're getting our spiritual nutrients. And Jesus isn't the only one who says this idea. Uh, Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.2. He says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you'll grow into full experience of salvation. So the same way when you have a new baby, <laughs> you got to give them the bottle. 
If you don't give your baby a bottle, your baby won't grow up. It'll be malnutrition. It'll not grow and develop the way it needs to. And what God's word is saying is when we come to Jesus, we're brand new babies in Christ. We're spiritually immature, which is why we complain about a lot of the stuff that really doesn't matter. He says, but if you want to grow up physically, you have to get physical nutrients. If you're going to grow up spiritually, stop being spiritual babies. You're going to have to get your spiritual nutrition. What's spiritual nutrition? The word of God. What's spiritual nutrition? The word of God. He goes on. He says this. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. First Timothy four, six. We are nourished by the words of faith. You're nourished by the words of faith. Jesus himself, I love his claim, John 6, 35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. What he was saying is like, there's a component to me when you encounter me and experience me. He says, I feed who you really are. Like there is this again, spiritual nutrition. Now, if that's true, if what we eat determines who we are, show me what you eat, I'll show you what you are. If that's true, and again, I think it is, just based on how we live currently, if it translates, and it's true, not just on physical level, but a spiritual level, and I think it is, think about this. Are we getting, are we getting our spiritual RDA, recommended daily allowance? If you ever thought about that, your recommended daily allowance. Well, there was some research done back about two years ago. Actually, a, a, a report was just released last year. It's pretty profound. It's kind of this huge study that was done based on how often Christians read their Bible or how often Americans read their Bible. And I don't really spend a lot of time on that because I think it's fascinating how the church, have you ever realized we do this? How church people or people of faith, how we look at people who are not in church and we judge them because they're not living like church people. Y'all ever notice that? Like, I can't believe they're living like that. Well, they never claim to love the Jesus we love. They're gonna live like people who don't love Jesus. But if you love Jesus, you're gonna live at a certain level. And so I'm not surprised that people who don't love Jesus don't read the Bible, but people who love Jesus ought to dig into the word of God and get their spiritual RDA. So I read a study, the most recent one I could find was done in 2019 by Lifeway Research, and they did a large study of how American Christians, people who call themselves believers, Christ's disciples, how often they read their Bibles. And what they found I thought was pretty fascinating. I was shocked really this first category was as high as it is. But what they found was that 30% of people who call themselves Christians say they read their Bible every day. Let's give it up for the 30% every day. Pretty fascinating. But then it said this, the next 30% said they read their Bibles about once a week to a couple times a week. So not every day, but several times a week, 30% say they pick up the word and they have a spiritual meal. Then 10% said that they read their Bibles a couple times a month. The next 10% said they read their Bibles anywhere from every couple months to once a month. And then 10% of Christians said they never read their Bible. Now, here's what's interesting with that is if it's true, if you can only be physically strong and grow physically with physical nutrients, come on, what would happen if we applied the same percentages to spiritual food 
or physical food as, as applied to spiritual food. I'm just telling you, a lot of us are focused physically, but we are starving spiritually because some of you in this room or in our, one of our campuses, you're the 10% that never dig into God's word. You're some of the 10% that maybe once every couple months, you will crack the pages and peel back the pages of scripture. But I'm just telling you, if we need physical food to grow, we need spiritual food to grow. And there's something God has for you, called you to do, called you to walk in, called you to experience that you can't do it on your own. He has given us the spiritual RDA, recommended daily allowance to walk in all that he has for us and to know who he is. Come on, somebody. Are you devouring the word of God? Think about everything that God's word promises that it is. You may not know this. You might say, pastor, tell me like, why do I need the Bible? Isn't the Bible just a book? It's not just another book. It's God's word. And what we find out when you dig into God's word, when you devour God's word, when you start getting your spiritual RDA, I'm just telling you, God's word will do some pretty, pretty profound things in your life. It has the capacity to help us become like Christ. You become more like Jesus when you start getting to God's word. God's word will give you the strength for spiritual battles. Come on, if you're fighting a fight, anybody here in the middle of a fight, if you want to get the, the strength you need for victory, you're going to find it in the pages of scripture. God's word gives us a revelation of our redeemer, not who culture says he is, not who you grew up thinking he is, but I'm just telling you, if you want to meet somebody, go meet him for yourself. Don't get secondhand information. And the way you get firsthand information of who Jesus is, is to peel back the pages of scripture and let him introduce himself to you. Come on, somebody. That's what God's word does. God's word gives us the wisdom to navigate life. If you're not sure how to handle situations, you will find throughout the pages of scripture principles to apply to your parenting to apply to your finances, to apply to business, to apply just to life in general. God's word reveals to us that it's a mirror that reflects ourselves to us. It's a hammer that breaks us. It's a fire that purifies us. It's a candle that melts us. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is something that every Christ follower desperately needs because if you need physical food, you need spiritual food. Come on, somebody. Are you getting your RDA? Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17. I'd love for everybody to read this, all of our campuses. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. And what is it? If somebody told you, you don't need the Bible, or I don't really understand it, or it's not helpful to me. Listen, the Bible, God's word, his spiritual nutrients to our life, it is useful. What's it useful for? To teach us what is true to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do right. And watch this, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The only way you can really grow in your faith, the only way you can become who God's called you to be is to get into God's word. Now, here's what's really crazy is a lot of us maybe in this season, there's some things you're praying for. I have found in my own life sometimes things I'm praying to God about that I don't see happen in my time frame, which can be frustrating. God doesn't do what I think he should do when I think he should do it. But here's what I found out is true. Is a lot of times I'm not waiting on God. What I have found is a lot of times God's waiting on me. On. That I'm not ready for the thing I'm praying for. And if he allowed me to experience the thing I'm praying for, it would hurt me and not help me. I wanted to drive when I was 10, but I wasn't ready. 
I, would, I couldn't reach the pedals, right? At some point, you're physically able to drive. That's when you can get your driver's license. And God knows where you're at, what stage of life you find yourself. And while you might be praying for a spouse, you may not be ready for a spouse. While you might be believing for a business, you're not ready for a business. And the way you prepare yourself for every good work, the reason God created you is you can only develop to that level by getting into God's word. Listen to me. I know some of you guys, man, you're believing for some stuff. And if the reason you're in your business isn't just for a paycheck, God puts you there for a purpose. I know you like the house you bought, but you're not there just to live in that house. God puts you in that subdivision. God puts you on that campus. I know you apply to other campuses. And the reason you got into that school is God puts you there, not just for your education, but he has a plan and a purpose in the place that he has put you. And the only way you can walk it out and fulfill it is to have the nutrients you need to develop in the person God's called you to be. And you find that in God's word. Unfortunately, there are way too many Christians who are focused physically and starving spiritually. And so I just want to just issue this challenge. What would happen? What would happen in your life? What would happen in my life? What would happen in our church if we all started to get our spiritual RDA, recommended daily allowance? There's a story I want us to lean into for, for a few minutes. It's, there's so much I'm going to leave out. It's such a big story. But there's just a piece of it I want to talk about today that's really, really profound and helps us to see what can happen when real people start to really dig in and to open themselves up and experience God's word. There's a, uh, the nation of Israel. Many of you guys obviously know the story. The nation of Israel, God raised up, God birthed the nation of Israel. They found themselves as, as slaves in the land of Egypt. God delivered them and took them into this promised land, into this land God gave them. In the story we're going to read, it picks up in the books of Chronicles and Kings. There's four books in the Old Testament, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings. And those four books are about kings, which is why it's called Kings. <laughs> and what you'll find is that when the nation of Israel got in the promised land, they wanted a king. Every other nation had a king. We want a king too. And so God allowed them to have the very first king, King Saul. After King Saul, King David took the throne. King David was, at one time, when he was much younger, David and Goliath. He's the guy who wrote many of the Psalms. Very well-known king, loved the Lord, served the Lord. David's King Solomon, the third king of the nation of Israel, he was the king who built the temple, the physical place where God was worshiped, where the sacrifices, as described in the Old Testament, were done. And right after Solomon, there was a civil war inside of the nation and the nation split from the north and the south. And they were just at odds. And what we find is that then the north had their own king and the south had their own king. And when you read Kings and Chronicles, what you find is a description of the king, his name, usually his mama's name. That's another conversation. You have his mama's name, how long that they reigned, and then God's perspective of how they did it as a king. And you find two things. Either they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord or they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And you'll find by large part, king after king after king, man, just kept corrupting the nation and pulling them farther away from who God called them to be. And it started with the very first king. This guy, Jeroboam, he steps on the throne. He's the guy and he introduces public worship of false gods. He intentionally pulls the attention of God's people away from God onto the gods of the nations that surround them. I mean, this guy is wheels off wicked. 
And so God sends, I just got to give you this part. God sends a prophet to address Jeroboam and the wickedness that he's allowing to invade the nation with. And this prophet steps on the, steps on the scene in front of this king. You can read this on your own, 1 Kings 13. And he tells Jeroboam the king, he says this, he says, God's going to raise up, not long from now, God's going to raise up a young man by the name of Josiah. Everybody say Josiah. Josiah. God's going to raise up a Josiah. And when Josiah gets here, he's going to right what's wrong. He's going to flip this kingdom back where it's supposed to be. And he's going he's to deal with all of these false priests making false sacrifices to false gods. I just want you to know something. God always keeps his promise. Maybe not in your time frame, but God always keeps his promise. And so king after king after king after king, born and die, born and die, born and die. This king steps on the, on the, on the scene of history 300 years after this prophecy that God is going to raise up a young man, Josiah, who's going to flip the script and change the kingdom back the way it's supposed to be. His name, this king that's born, is Manasseh. Manasseh is wicked even at a whole nother level than Jeroboam was. I mean, this dude is bananas crazy in disrespecting and dishonoring God's word. He not only continues to do what Jeroboam does of allowing and empowering false worship all over the kingdom, but he sets up false altars in the temple to worship to other gods. That'd be like us showing up on a Sunday morning to worship the living God and there's a Buddha medita- Buddhist meditating in the corner and there's like a witch doctor sacrificing chickens back in the corner. Like we look around like uh, something is out of order. Security, do something quick. And so that's what's happening in the culture. Manasseh is so wicked, he sacrifices his own sons to false gods. At the end of Manasseh's reign, his son Amon takes over. Amon continues in the family business. He's just as wicked as his dad. And then Manasseh's grandson, Amon's son, is born. Do you want to know what his name is? It's Josiah. Josiah is born on the scene, and here's where his story picks up. And I want you to see what God does as he fulfills his promise in this young man. Are you all with me today? Watch this. It says in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 1, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he, began, when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years, and he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David, and he did not turn away from doing what was right. Wouldn't you love that to be said about your life? Steve did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's a great word. When you like say, I want you to just take your name and just insert it and just say that out loud. Steve did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Come on, say that together. Did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So he lived his life as a king and then it gets into, well, how did he do it? I'm glad you asked. Watch this. In verse three, watch this. During the eighth year, so he's eight years old. He's a kid king because that culture was when dad died, the oldest son took over. And so when dad died, he was eight years old, but God put Josiah as the king of the nation and watch this, during the eighth year of his reign. So how old was he? I'm glad we're in church and not math class. I swear I heard like a 24 out there somewhere. 67? Sweet Lord, help us. He was eight. You add eight and you get... Give him enough time. We'll always land at the right answer. During the eighth year of his reign, Josiah, watch this, this wicked nation that have lost their way, that's worshiping false gods, sacrificing the false gods. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began 
to seek the Lord. I'm just telling you, if you want your life to change in 2023, it's not just going to happen in the gym and the dinner table and in the marriage. I just want you to know if you will begin to seek the Lord in 2023, the promise that he made will happen. If you seek him with all of your heart, you're going to find him and life change will happen. Now, here's what's crazy about Josiah is think about this. His granddaddy and his daddy, they set up a nation of wickedness. But Josiah, the way God's word was moved from generation to generation, thousands of years ago was typically through oral tradition. Everybody didn't have copies, physical copies of the Bible. Most people couldn't read. And so Josiah grew up hearing these stories about Jehovah God, about this God who parted the Red Sea, about this God who judged Pharaoh with 10 plagues and made sure that his people were set free, about this God who gave them the promise. He heard all of these stories and all the expectations of this God. But when he looked around, he saw his people worshiping all these false gods. And so he said, you know what? I'm not going to go the direction of all these false gods. I want to seek the God that I've heard about. And Josiah, come on, somebody, at 16 years old, began to seek the Lord. If Josiah can seek God in the crooked culture he was a part of, I want everybody in this room to know something. Our culture is backwards and upside down as well. But in our culture, we can begin to seek the Lord as well. And so he started seeking God. And watch this. Then this. In his seeking, something happens. It says this, then the 12th year, how old was he? People afraid to answer now. They're like, hang on, 12, 13, 14, 20. At 20 years old, how old was he? 20. Then in the 18th year, I'm sorry, in the 12th year, he began to purify. Everybody say purified. He began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying the pagan shrines and the Asherah poles and the carved idols in the cast images. What he said was, it's not enough to me to talk about Jesus. I'm going to start living this thing out. And if God's put me in authority, I'm going to use the authority I have to bring influence in the areas I operate. Again, that's why you need to know God puts you in the place you're in to operate as a Christ follower, to bring light into a dark world, salt into a tasteless world, life that only comes by Jesus. And Josiah said, listen, I'm not just going to see God because once you start to see God, this always happens. When you begin to seek the Lord, you'll start to find him and you'll start to find out what he's really like. I find in my own life that the closer I get with God, the more aware I am of godliness and the more aware I am of wickedness. The closer I get my relationship with the Lord, the more I start to just sense what I believe God wants me to do and the way he doesn't want me to live. I remember the very first time as a, as a young believer finding a Bible Again, I gave my life to Christ when I was 17, didn't have a Bible. And I remember as a young kid digging through my parents' closets, because that's what some young kids do. And I remember as a kid saying my mom had a Bible in a box. And I remember going in and find, pulling this Bible down. It was an old King James Bible. And I didn't know you shouldn't always start. Like I learned reading books, you start at page one. That's not always the best way to read the Bible, because the Bible is not a book. It's a collection of 66 books. And so I started reading and it was a King James book. I never heard the word thou and thee until I started reading that book. But I remember this, when I started reading that book, I remember what started jumping out at me. I remember, man, I would read something and I would think, do people know this? 
I remember, man, reading who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. And I remember, man, this fire rate, like somebody needs to tell some people about how amazing this God is. Somebody needs to tell people, man, this world's given him a crooked and corrupt name and character. Man, this is a God of love and passion and joy who pursues his people and doesn't give up. Like somebody needs to tell the world who this God is. And Jesus is like, well, as long as you're talking about it. I'm here today standing on this platform because of what God did in my life when I started getting my spiritual RDA, recommended daily allowance. So this young kid, Josiah, shows up as king in a crooked, upside down, sinful culture, and he begins to seek the Lord. And then he begins to purify the kingdom. And then I want you to see this little element that's thrown in that's really, really powerful. It says this. Verse, uh, verse eight, in the 18th year. So how old is he? 26. <laughs> we're not, we ain't having church next week. We're just having math class. Y'all come ready. <laughs> we're going to start with the, the, the addition tables. Work our way up to the... Never mind. <laughs> in the 18th year of his reign, after he purified the land and the temple, Josiah appointed Shaphan, son of Azalea, Messiah, the governor of Jerusalem, Joah, the son of Joaz, the royal historian. Watch this. What's he appointed him to do? To repair the temple of the Lord. After decades of wicked kings not doing what God commanded, the temple where the sacrifices to the living God were to take place had fallen into dis- disrepair. And here's Josiah. He's seeking the Lord. He's purifying the nation. Now he says, let's get God's house back in order that we can worship there. And so these people go in and they're mopping and cleaning and painting and they're getting the house back in order. And watch this. It says this, while they were bringing out the money collected at the Lord's temple, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that was written by Moses. This was a people who was about the book. Like we today should be people who are about the book. And because of all of the wickedness and people losing their way and getting distracted, they lost track of the Bible. They lost the word of God. And when you lose truth, or when you lose absolute truth, you will begin to replace it with relative truth. And we live in a culture that's great at trying to tell us what's relative with truth. That sex, that culture, the morality, it's just all relative. Now, while that's what culture says, that's not who the God we is. He is the way, he is the truth and he is the life. And the only way you'll know that, walk in that, live that, and experience it is if you're people of the book. Are you getting your spiritual RDA? So they find the Bible that's been lost. And watch this. This guy runs. He's got the Old Testament. He runs back to the king and says this. He hears what's written, and he tore his clothes in despair. So Josiah removed all detestable idols from the entire land of Israel and required everyone to worship the Lord their God. And throughout the rest of his lifetime, they did not turn away from the Lord, the God of their ancestors. What's so interesting is Josiah only knew in his own nature what he thought was right. Remember it said he cleared out the land. Well, then once he got the word, once he really heard what the word really has to say, he said, man, we're not really living this thing out. And he made a proclamation that the entire nation come back and serve the Lord. Revival broke out in an entire kingdom because they found the book. Life change happened because they started getting their spiritual nutrition. And it just didn't happen in a king. 
an entire nation experience revival. What's gonna change this nation, there's so many pastors that stand on platforms and will say things like this. We as a nation, we need to get back. We were a Christian nation and we need to get back to being a Christian nation. Okay, so you're telling me everybody in this nation was always Christian? That's not true. You know what's gonna change this nation? It's not if we get back to being a Christian nation. What's gonna change this nation is if Christian people get back to being Christian people. Then we will influence the nation that we're a part of. But we can't get back on our own opinion. We can't get back just on what people say we should be. We gotta get back to the book. We gotta get back to our spiritual RDA. And if you'll dig in on a regular basis, the same way you feed yourself physically, if you'll feed yourself spiritually, you'll grow spiritually, you'll mature spiritually, you'll be equipped to do and to walk in everything God created you to do. You'll have solutions for struggles. You'll have strength for, for, for battle. You'll know God more than you've ever known. And because you're not getting secondhand information, you're going to the pages where he's revealed himself and who he is. And all of a sudden you'll find yourself walking with a greater peace a greater hope, a greater confidence. I know what CNN said. I know what Fox News said. I know what Newsmax said, but I heard what Jesus said. And that's what my hope is in. It's in his word. You will only find it in his word. And so what would happen if we all began to get our spirits of RDA? What would happen if we just didn't focus on meal prep, carbs, proteins, Atkins diet, paleo, Mediterranean, and all the things that are helpful to our physical person. What would happen if every one of us in this room and Shoals and Lawrenceburg and every person online who said, I'm a believer, I'm a Christ follower. I would say, we need to focus a little less on physical and a little more on spiritual. And while you need physical food to eat to sustain your physical person, you need spiritual food to eat to sustain your spiritual person. And Jesus said, that spiritual food is his word. And so here's the challenge. I wanna ask everybody in this room, everyone at all of our campuses to join me, to join together for the rest of this month and make a commitment to read one chapter a day. The Gospel of Luke, the third book in the Bible, which is a great place to start if you're new to the Bible, the story, the life, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is a great place to start. Luke, there's 24 chapters in it. There's 23 days left in the month starting tomorrow. So if tomorrow you'll read one chapter in Luke, a day. In, one time, in the rest of the month, take one day and read two chapters, you will have finished the book of Luke. And I'm less concerned, and I think God is less concerned with the accomplishment of finishing a book and just more concerned with consistently getting some spiritual nutrients. You're gonna read some stuff you don't know. I, I still read stuff that I'm like, I'm not really sure what that means. Don't get hung up on what you don't know. It's written in a culture and a context that sometimes is a little hard, but generally you'll find God speaking principles and promises and commandments that you can look and say, like, I don't need a, I don't need a pastor to explain that to me. Do not commit adultery. Like I don't, that, that doesn't need a lot of explanation. Forgive those who persecute you. Like I, come on y'all, it's not that hard. God will help you with it. And God will take what you read and he will saturate your heart and he'll strengthen you for your journey. And he will give you what you need to move forward in your faith. So here's a real simple question. High people would say, Pastor Steve, I'm 100% in. There might be a day you miss. Don't give up, you miss a day. But you would make a commitment today for the rest of this month, I'm in for one chapter of Luke a day. Don't raise your hand unless you mean it. But if you're like, I wanna make a commitment, I, like, I need to start getting some spiritual food in my body. Lift your hand real high, all over our campuses. Okay, with your hand up, don't put it down yet. Everybody look around and find somebody you know. 
Find somebody, somebody you're friends with on Facebook. You got their phone number, you can text them. All right, so second commitment is don't just you do it. Now you got somebody, send them a message a couple times. Hey, how you doing with Luke? Help them with some encouragement and some accountability. And together, we're gonna have a steady diet for the next 23 days. And I think if we eat right for any period of time, life change can happen, especially when it's spiritual nutrition. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray that we would really understand that God, it's not just another book. It's not just more words on more pages, but it is alive. It reads us more than we read it. And it can change us on a level that we could never change ourselves. So Holy Spirit, I pray that God, all of us would sense an urgency, a desire and a passion to lean into your word, to read, to devour, and to experience who you are as revealed in scripture. And so Father, I pray God, just over the next month, God, help us to find that gear, God, to make that commitment to establish a spiritual discipline of reading your word. Father, I believe with all of my heart that God, we will experience life change on a whole nother level. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees said amen. Hey, listen, before I get off this platform, if you're here and you're not serving Jesus, I just wanna give you a chance, man, to give your life to Christ. What does that mean? That means that all of us are broken, all of us are sinful, but God created you to have a relationship with him forever. And because of the gap of who he is and who we are, because of our brokenness, we can't reach him. That's the great thing about Christianity. Every other world religion is about what you can do to reach your God. Christianity is about what God did to reach us. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sin. And if we'll put our hope, our trust, our faith in him, to say, I can't save myself, but you can. Just in that that faith, in that moment, you become forgiven. In that moment, you become a child of God and it will truly change you for all eternity. So if you're in this room or you're one of our campuses and you've never given your life to Christ, maybe this is your first time in church in a long time. Today's a great day to say, Jesus, come into my life and save me. If you're backslidden, you're away from God, you can just recommit your life to Christ. He will meet you right where you are today. With every head bowed, every eye closed, Jesus, I pray God draw hearts to you. I pray people who are far from you, God, people maybe feel like God, they could never get close, would know today you love them came to rescue all of us. And all we have to do is put our hope in you. Jesus, you give us the gift of grace, something we can never earn or work for. God, you give it to us as a gift. If you're here, you're one of our campuses or watching online and you wanna give your life to Jesus today, you need to commit your life to him or you're backslidden, you need to recommit your life. I wanna give you that chance. I'm gonna lead in a simple prayer. If you say, Pastor Steve, I wanna include it in that prayer. I wanna give my life to Jesus today. I want you to lift a hand real high. Come on, all over this room. If you're not serving the Lord today, you want to commit your life to Christ. Lift it up real high so I can see it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lots of hands. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, 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 thank you. Man, a lot of hands. I'm sure there's hands at all of our campuses. It's just a simple expression of faith. I'll lead in this prayer. You can really use your own words, but if you raise the hand, all you have to say is, Jesus, I believe you love me because you came to rescue me. You died on the cross for my sin. I ask you to forgive me, to make me your child. Help me to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, let's lose our mind for a whole bunch of people in this room. At all of our campuses, man, we celebrate the light change. Last thing before you go is we set up our baptismal tanks. 
We're doing this every week in the month of January. If you're here and you've not taken the next step, listen to me, take the next step. Follow Jesus. I promise you, the more you give of Jesus, the more you give yourself to Jesus, the more he'll change your life. If you just raise your hand this morning, you can be baptized. We have everything you need. We have new shorts, new shirts, new towels. It's all ready for you. All you have to do is walk out of the back. The baptismal is right in the back. People are there. They'll show you where to go, where to get changed and what you need to do. Don't go home dry. Take the plunge and watch what God does in your life. God bless you guys, man. We'll see you next week.